Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Live Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening. And it being Wednesday, that means we have the opportunity to talk about Pope Francis, where he is at in the news, as well as his wisdom that comes to us from his great exhortation, The Joy of the Gospel. And it is Wednesday, so that means that Bob Cross is with me here in studio. So, Bob, it is great to have you with me another evening. Good evening, Joe. So, Bob, before we jump into Pope Francis, and we are going to get into his address to the European uh, Parliament, I have been in a number of conversations recently where the focus has been on this gift of understanding. And I think I noted maybe three or four weeks ago on this program that we would get into that, and uh, we never did. I, I think I touched upon the gift of understanding in other programs or elsewhere, but not uh, on, on Wednesday night. And so what I want to do is really lead this evening with a reflection on the gift of understanding, because it, would really, it will really serve us in uh, what we are about here on Wednesday evening. And my reflections are going to be drawing from Romano Gardini, uh, one of the great theologians of the 20th century. You've heard Emeritus Pope Benedict XVI talk about him on a number of occasions. He has a great deal of respect for him. He just has some great pieces, Bob, on uh, practical virtues, and certainly one of those virtues is understanding. And so with that, this is what uh, Romano Gardini has to say. And listen to, to some of these words, and we'll just kind of reflect with it. Now, if someone approaches uh, me on the street, looks at me, and tips his hat, something is going on. From this action, I can see that his attention is directed toward me, that he means, quote-unquote, me. By the expression on his face, I can tell whether the man with whom I am dealing is well disposed toward me, or has an aversion to me, or maybe he feels embarrassed. These and countless other incidents... Uh, which constantly occur, indicate that man carries an interior world within himself, that dispositions, conditions, and feelings which are originally hidden can be expressed in words, countenance, attitude, behavior, and actions, and consequently, so can be revealed. So here, what he wants us to see, Bob, is that understanding means to see, to hear, and to perceive how behind a feeling that is manifested, behind an opinion that is expressed, something else is hidden. And perhaps another thing behind that. This really gets into the heart of, I believe, Pope Francis's vision of personal accompaniment. So understanding means that ability to be able to read or grasp the interior meaning in a consequence of the external manifestation. Romano Gardini goes on to say, and I just love this, but true understanding goes even farther. If someone becomes gruff and surly at a particular moment, then understanding means seeing how this feeling fits into the whole of his nature. A certain way of acting expresses different things on the part of different persons. 
For example, when a shy person becomes gruff because he wishes to hide his inmost feelings, it is something quite different than when an impudent person becomes violent in order to get his way. He who truly understands also sees the whole context in which a gesture or movement or word acquires its full meaning. And this holds true not only of the context of disposition and temperament, but also of time. Why is one person so timid? Well, because in the past he suffered violence. Why is he distrustful? Because he has often been deceived. What causes the curious look of sadness and of expectation in his eyes? He has found little understanding in his life and yearns for it. So here, what he wants us to see is that understanding also means recognizing, Bob, how the present hour results from a man's life history. The venerable Archbishop Fulton Sheen has a beautiful commentary uh, on this where he really focuses on that, you know, understanding is tapped into that keenness of sight, that delicacy of feeling, that ability in the end to put oneself in another's place. Now, all of that being said, all of this points towards something else. And I think this is what really lies at the heart of what we have difficulty with here, Bob. Because the beginning of all understanding consists that each one shall give the other freedom to be what he is and not regard him from the point of view of egotism, prescribing for him what he is to be according to one's own self-interest. I mean, how often have we done that? But rather regarding him from the point of view of freedom, first saying, be what you are, and then, now, I should like to know what you are and why. This is the attitude, Bob, that brings about understanding, the kind of understanding that we have talked about. It presupposes that we give the other person the right to be himself, that we do not regard him as a piece of our own environment, which we can use in some utilitarian sense. Now, I can hear some of our listeners, Bob, say, well, isn't that a dangerous thing? It is a dangerous thing. If understanding is the end in of itself, okay, but you and I both know it's not. Understanding is a gift which points towards truth, so understanding is a means to an end. And that end is that deeper personal encounter, ultimately, with truth in the middle. So understanding points towards truth. It's not an end in of itself. It points to something greater. And once we can begin to grasp this and apply it in our daily lives, Bob, we are well on our way to uh, essentially enter uh, more deeply into Pope Francis's vision. Not one that would just say, yeah, I'll be who you are and uh, I'll accept you for who you are and we'll be done. No, that vision that says, I'm going to journey with you to the ends of the earth so as to understand you and so as to advance the dialogue that's rooted in truth. That's the threshold, okay? But if we enter into each conversation without a deeper sense of how everything that the person we are talking to is caught up in this, this drama of his or her history, then we are going to fail to enter deeper into that conversation. This is why listening is an art. Now, people are critical of this. Sound, Orthodox, Catholic, and Christians are, are critical of this accompaniment, this art of listening. But when we see it as a means to an end, a journey, no, this is what it's all about. 
this is what the personal encounter is all about. If the new evangelization is about the culture of encounter, one does not advance that encounter if we're so concerned about what we think and, and what we want the person to see or hear that we actually don't listen. Sure, and it's so interesting listening to you describe that whole concept, or numerous concepts there, but it really comes down to um, those two key words there, that understanding and truth, I, I think that it's man's nature, and I think G.K. Chesterton, you know, talks about it at great length in some of his books. Mm, um, mm. And, you know, that man is, is, is always searching for, for understand or for truth, number mm. one. And, and understanding is the way, um, you know, that you, you get to the, the truth. And mm-hmm. let's face it, you know, when you meet someone, um, we kind of put them in a little box. We stereotype people all the time, and we, we have a, an impression of them um, before we get a chance to even listen. And then we listen. We, we kind of have already made up our mind to some degree about that individual. And then we listen somewhat in a tainted manner because, mm-hmm. again, we've already formed that first impression then we expect them to say certain things and we we don't even listen intently mm-hmm. because we want them to say what we think they're all about or what we think they should be saying based on that first impression but it's it's all about that understanding and then truth and our desire to uh, you know to to realize a truth mm-hmm. i think everybody does because they want to find out the truth about someone if they yeah. if they talk to them or they encounter them so i know leading to Pope Francis. I mean, it's this is where we're going with this conversation, tonight, mm-hmm. right? That's right. I mean, <laughs> going back to Gardini's initial reflection that the external manifestation is caught up in, in a history, right? And we cannot even begin to understand what any of us intend to mean in what we talk about, let alone Pope Francis. But with Pope Francis, we have to see as it uh, as an organic whole. We have touched upon this in the past that, you know, there's no contradiction in what he has said or done, what he has said or written, right? And when you begin to see one in light of the other, uh, one sermon in light of uh, one document or one address in, in light of one uh, interview, you begin to see that continuity, okay? But yeah, if if you've made these assumptions or if, if all you're getting is these so- sound bites, then you're not going to get an understanding <laughs> of this man, Pope Francis. And my whole intention in getting into this this evening, Bob, is because I have been in a conversation with someone about Pope Francis every day. And one of the problems is, and it's, it's just, it is what it is. I mean, people are busy. Faithful, good Christians are, they're busy, and they just see this, this ticker tape on the bottom of the screen, and that's all they get. Uh, but are you going to understand what he's all about if it's if you're just reading at the bottom of a television screen. No, um, we wouldn't dream do that with any other thing, and yet this is what we've done with, with Pope Francis. And in light of that, I, I thought, uh, I'm not always quoting John Allen, but I did think he, he had a, a good piece last week as it relates to some things that came out of his, his address to the European Parliament. He, this was, um, I think, a day after. Uh, it was, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll just read this quickly. During a brief press conference aboard the papal plane, it was yesterday, last week, returning to Rome from a day trip to Strasbourg, a French journalist asked Pope Francis if he's a social democrat. The question was based on a line from one of the Pope's speeches in Strasbourg in which he took a shot at multinational corporations. 
If you don't follow European politics, the Social Democrats are the main center-left party. So it's a bit like an American asking the Pope if he's a Democrat. Francis actually laughed out loud and then said, Caro questo è uno reduce inimiso. I, I think I said that right, but I think it, it was a lot like ridiculous there at the end. <laughs> the Italian basically translates as, my dear friend, that's an oversimplification. Francis went on to talk about how he tries to follow the gospel and the social teaching of the Catholic Church, not any party line, and ended up by thanking the re- reporter Renard, Renaud Bernard of France to TV for cracking him up. <laughs> what the question, as well as the Pope's response, illustrates is that Francis's brief outing on Tuesday to the European Parliament and the Council of, the Europe, of Europe offers a classic illustration of how media narratives shape the way we perceive public figures. In truth, the idea of Francis as a social democrat in Strasbourg, and therefore as a repudiation of the Catholic Church's perceived drift to the political right under Pope Benedict XVI, depends entirely on listening to only part of what Francis had to say. Both speeches, you know, that that he made were dense and both covered a wide range of issues. In many ways, they were the closest Francis has come to the kind of rhetoric associated with with Pope Benedict XVI starting with lofty and abstract principles and then working down towards specific conclusions. The comparison with Benedict is even more apt at the level of content because both of the speeches Francis delivered yesterday were ones it's easy to imagine Benedict having given. Aside from the use of certain stock phrases associated with Benedict, such as dictatorship of relativism, consider the following points Francis made in Strasbourg. In order to be healthy, Europe needs God. A Europe which is no longer open to the transcendent dimension of life is a Europe which risks lo- slowly losing its soul. Abortion is an, example, is an example of a Western culture that treats human beings as mere cogs in a machine. Mm. As examples, Francis cited the terminally ill, the elderly who are abandoned and uncared for, and children who are killed in the womb. Europe needs to stop denying its Christian identity. A 2,000-year-old history lines Europe and Christianity. A Europe which is capable of approaching its religious roots will be all the more immune to the many forms of extremism spreading in the world today, not least as a result of the great vacuum of ideals which we are currently witnessing in the West. Fourth point was secular Europe is running out of gas. Francis said that the world today has become less and less Eurocentric. That today, Europe gives the impression of being somewhat elderly and haggard, Hmm. and that it's less and less protagonist in part the pope implied that decline is that decline is due to an aversion to reproduction saying that europe is now a grandmother no Mm. longer fertile and vibrant wow strong words (laughs) had it been benedict XVI who went to strasbourg to say these things one can imagine the storyline would have been pope scolds europe for lack of values instead because it was francis who carries around the narrative of being a maverick and a progressive those elements in his speeches were largely ignored in favor of his points about immigrants, labor, the environment, the arms trade, and human trafficking. The headlines were, Francis demands that Europe care for the poor. Yeah. <laughs> Probably the most quoted line from Francis in Strasbourg was when he talked about the waves of poor mi- migrants trying to cross the Mediterranean Sea into Europe who risked their lives doing so. We cannot allow the Mediterranean to, be Mediterranean to become a vast cemetery. Hmm. Benedict XVI said similar things, but the difference is that the media outlets today believe Francis means it, and so such utterances draw wide play. Mm. There you go.
I, I really think that in that brief commentary, you have a, a kind of microcosm, Bob, of what we've been talking about over the last eight, nine, ten months now. You know, it, Benedict the Sixteenth. Those were just some pieces. I had gone through the whole address. Benedict the Sixteenth could have written this address. When you read Benedict the Sixteenth, I'll tell you, Bob. Uh, I've been made to read all of his works because of what I do. You know, <laughs> after preparing myself for teaching this course or that radio program, and I tell you, reading those words, reading that address, it was like reading Benedict the Sixteenth. And yes, he may use some phrases that are different than Benedict the Sixteenth, but the essence of it, I tell you what, you know. And and he had some strong words, but as Alan pointed out, there, it's the way in which we just kind of. Uh, brush over a few other things and then focus in on those pieces that that continue to carry uh, that narrative that the drive-by media uh, so desires. And so, as Catholics, as Christians, what we need to do is to, again, make sure that uh, we're reading this man for who he is uh, and be mindful that when you start talking about these social justice issues, he's bringing us back to the gospel, just like Benedict XVI did in his Caritatis and Veritate, just like John Paul II did in his uh, writings on social justice. These men are in continuity. When I was writing my dissertation, Hmm. I was taken back by uh, some of the the strong language that John Paul II was using. And I I know that he was integral into uh, the the fall of of the Berlin Wall and and communism in Russia, and certainly Reagan and Gorbachev had, had made those points that, you know, John Paul II was quintessential. Um, but to actually read his words, wow. And wow, I mean, and, and so if he's continuing a narrative, Bob, it's one that is in continuity with his predecessors. Sure, and it's, you know, it's so easy again, just like we open up the program talking about. Our understanding and truth is, it just gets just so mixed up at times yeah. because because of persona, because of what we think somebody is, we think they're saying something different than mm-hmm. what they may be actually trying to communicate with Benedict the 16th everybody considered him you know this conservative very very conservative very very orthodox and now all you, all you hear about Pope Francis is oh he's a progressive mm-hmm. you know that he's a liberal you hear that and we we just naturally just start to outline yeah. and, and label people mm-hmm. yeah and so one of the ways in which we come to understand this man as we've said in the past is get into joy the gospel you know and, and see that uh, this document the joy of the gospel is uh, in lockstep with with Benedict's vision of of evangelization. Uh, so, with that, we will reengage here. Uh, paragraph one twelve. Wrap that paragraph up. You know, Bob. One of the things we didn't get into last week was uh, those key words there. I believe that came uh, at the end of that paragraph, where Pope Francis is talking about uh, the importance of understanding. Here we are again. The word understanding. The importance of understanding that Jesus Christ is the one who is initiating all of our evangelization in the grace of the Holy Spirit. And so this is why we use the language, as John Paul II would use it, that the Holy Spirit is the protagonist of the new evangelization. He is simply saying, that is Pope Francis at the end of paragraph 112, that if you want to be an agent for the new evangelization, you will only do so and be an agent according to to the way in which you conform yourself to Jesus Christ. I think it was, um, I think we touched upon it uh, last week or a few weeks ago, that word ability, it came to us in the gospel about a month ago for the Sunday reading, 
that he gives us the ability that the Greek word is dynamu or dynamis. The actual translation speaks to um, how Christ confers upon us um, his grace, his goodness, essentially the master's qualities, that Christ is the one evangelizing in and through us. And so we have this need and this call, Bob, to draw back and to make sure that we are not getting in the way, getting in the way of his truth, getting in the way of his work, and that we enter into this, this dynamism of, of man in mission. And man in mission is Jesus Christ working in and through us. So very important piece there, uh, as he wants us to focus in. And this is the beginning of chapter 3, in the proclamation of the good news. He wants us to focus in on who has what role, right? And we are following Christ's lead. Three quarters of the way through paragraph, you know, 112. He, he, he's talking about... On behalf of Pope Benedict XVI, he says he put it nicely at the beginning of the Synod's Reflections, it is important always to know that the first word, the true initiative, the true activity comes from God and only by inserting ourselves into the divine initiative, Hmm. only begging for this divine initiative, shall we be able to become one with him and in him. Hmm. To evangelize, we have to be in God and with God, Mm -hmm. with the Holy Spirit, to be able to be that example by virtue of how we live our lives. Amen. I have said in the past, you know, to neglect prayer is to neglect ministry. Why? Because when you enter into that dynamic of prayer, that conversation with God, that is the place, as Benedict would put it, that is the zone, that is the realm uh, in which God forms and informs what he wants you to do. And it is in that zone, that place where he initiates, he gives us those promptings, those interior promptings, you know, uh, go over there, go over here, start this, start that. And, and we respond to those. When our conscience is formed, conscience the law that is written on our heart, when it is formed in truth, and we begin to have an understanding of it for what it is, Bob, then uh, yeah, those promptings will lead us into that place where we need to go. So uh, this is very important, certainly for, for uh, Benedict XVI, but also Pope Francis. And I love the fact that he quoted uh, Benedict there on such an important piece. Uh, very important. And so then, in the next few paragraphs, he gets into, collectively, this permanence of mission, this call uh, that we have to never never see that our job is done, never see that our job is complete, that there's always something more to do. We need to be constant and really root ourselves in this mindset that there's always someone else that we can reach out to. And Pope Francis, well, that's actually been a huge point for him. This is why he's so adamant in some of the language he uses when we get lazy. You know, he has some very, very strong words for us. Uh, we've already talked about this a great deal, you know, being called a sourpuss. <laughs> yeah, he, I, you could tell that he doesn't like the on-again, off-again, you know, Christian life or Catholic life, does mm-hmm. he? I mean, nope. I mean, that's why he's always re- referencing Satan and the devil, the enemy. I mean, he's sending right. wake-up calls all the time in every speech, things that he writes, and he's calling us just as the gospel does to, to live our faith, to live our our fervor, our vigor. I mean, he uses those words. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be with, be in prayer and be with, uh, in, in, in the Holy Spirit. And, yeah. um, and it, and it really comes forth in everything that you, that, that you read. And as, I mean, I almost say it every week, you know, I mean, the one thing that you can say about Pope Francis above anything else is he's very, very consistent mm-hmm. and yep, reminding yep. us to, you know, to be, to be a, a Christian, to do it, to not turn it on and turn it off 
we're going to be evangelizing. We have to keep it on all the time. Yeah, and what were those verses that we heard from this past Sunday? Be watchful. Uh, be sober. Be alert. Okay? <laughs> because you never know when he's going to be coming. And so what does this mean for us? This means that we need to be doing everything in our power to be reaching out to those who are most in need, saving souls for Christ, first conforming ourselves to Christ and in Christ, and in turn, be in mission for Christ. Use everything in your power, whatever means possible, so as to save souls. Something else we've talked about, Bob, going online, blogging, YouTubing, podcast, all this stuff. Go into our local neighborhoods. Reach out to those who are on the margins. Make sacrifices. Wake up earlier. Go to bed later. Do whatever you need to do to save souls for Christ. And this is why no wonder that in paragraphs 113 and 114, what is another key theme, Bob, but mercy. Mercy is that chief attribute of God. We've devoted whole programs to mercy. It is enough to say, rekindling some of that earlier subject matter we talked about this evening, Bob, that if we are going to really understand this mission, we must serve Christ in the poorest of the poor. We must put ourselves in the shoes of another person. This is what compassion means, compassio, to suffer with. Mercy needs to lead this permanence of mission. Mercy needs to lead uh, this call we have to be for other. All right, with that, let us close with the word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.